Welcome to Nintendo Dispatch, your weekly Nintendo podcast covering all things from the world of Nintendo. I'm Christina. And I am Michael. And in full transparency, this is the second time we've recorded this today. <laughs> it's it's our very own Groundhog's Day. Oh my gosh, it is. <laughs> Here's the podcast again. So yeah, we we recorded once the and as I started to edit it, I realized the sound wasn't very good. So we're recording it again, and we're going to try our very best to handle the news as if it's the first time we are hearing it from each other and uh, and try to convey that to everybody. <laughs> and if the sound is off, it's not our fault. <laughs> but we have a lot of great stuff to actually cover today. So Christina is going to kick it off, and uh, and we'll keep our fingers crossed that it, it all sounds good in the end. So first, I'm going to start off with some Pokemon Home news. Uh, we got some details this week. Um, if you aren't familiar with what Pokemon Home is, it's a place where players can store and trade their favorite Pokemon across a number of Pokemon games. Um, the service will use your Nintendo account on both your Nintendo Switch and your mobile device, so your phone. Through the, the service, you'll be able to access the same Pokemon boxes in both versions of the app, so the Switch and the mobile version. You'll be able to move Pokemon between compatible games. So the Switch version of Pokemon Home supports connectivity with Pokemon Sword and Shield, Pokemon Let's Go, Pikachu, and Let's Go Eevee. And support for Pokemon Go is coming in the future. You can also trade Pokemon on the go. Uh, As soon as you upload your, or I guess deposit your Pokemon into boxes, they will be registered in the National Pokedex. And things like Mega Evolutions and Gigantamax forms will also be registered separately. Um, Now, the mobile version of Pokemon Home has a couple features that I want to go over. Uh, The first is Wonder Box, which lets you trade with people around the world. It uses this thing called GTS that lets you say which Pokemon you want to trade, which Pokemon you want to receive, and it will match you with another player based on what you say. Um, So you can essentially you can trade your Pokemon in the background. You don't even have to have the app open. Mm. which is really cool. Mm -hmm. It also has room trade, which will let you create a room and trade Pokemon through people that join the room. And then friend trade, much like room trade, sounds exactly like what it is. You can trade with any other users that you've been friends with in the app. Um, So there's two different pricing plans. There's a free basic plan and then a premium plan, which has three different pricing models. (laughs) So if you pay $3, you get a 30-day subscription, so it's about $3 a month, uh, $5 for a 90-day subscription, and $16 for an annual subscription. So, Michael, you're probably wondering, what's the difference between a basic and a premium plan? I am wondering. <laughs> well, let me tell you. It's mostly uh, the number of Pokemon. Like The biggest things is like the number of Pokemon you can, you can deposit and trade. So for the basic level, you can deposit 30 Pokemon, but at premium, you can deposit up to 6,000 Pokemon. Uh, so a big difference there. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, ba- the number of Pokemon that can be placed in the Wonder Box at once is for basic three, for premium 10. Uh, the number of Pokemon that can be placed in GTS, so the thing that lets you trade Pokemon in the background. If you have basic, you can only use one Pokemon, but for premium, you can do up to three. And the biggest thing that probably will impact who decides to get a premium plan or not is the fact that um, you can upload things from Pokemon Bank only if you have a premium. So Pokemon Bank being from, no, correct me if I'm wrong, this is from like the 3DS? Mm-hmm. 
I okay, believe so. You, so yeah, it's okay. 3DS era games. Right. So you can upload things from the Pokemon Bank only if you have a premium account. Basic, it's unavailable, so you can't do it. Um, but that's pretty much it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a few things here. You know, one of them being that this is the the cost breakdown isn't bad. I think having a basic plan for somebody like me, that's fine. Basic mm-hmm. will do me just fine. I don't need a lot of this other stuff. I think um, I don't have anything on Pokemon Bank, so that has no effect on me. I don't I don't care about that. And if I use this for me, it's less about storing and it's more about trading. So if I do want to move some Pokemon, I could potentially move them from my Pokemon Let's Go Eevee to my Pokemon Shield. That's probably all I would do. Like I said, I don't have anything on 3DS. I don't have anything like that that I that I can think of that I would care about. I mean, maybe I maybe I would go back and pick up my 3DS and do some stuff if but if if anything, I'm moving them to Shield because that's what I'm playing. And if that's Mm -hmm. not available, if they're Pokemon that are not in Shield at the moment, I can't move them there anyway. So I don't even care to access Pokemon Bank to move them into into Pokemon Shield. So for me, basic is fine. Now, if you are somebody, you're you're a power Pokemon player, I do think you would want premium. And for those people, $16, you know, a year while by itself isn't very much if you are a hardcore pokemon player you're going to have the game for whatever sixty dollars you're going to have the expansion for another thirty dollars and then you're going to add this on top of that plus the online subscription so you're already over a hundred dollars just to play pokemon and i do think that starts to add up for somebody um and and i'm also curious okay so it's $100 to play Pokemon. Now, let's say you're a household that has two or three people playing Pokemon. Obviously, you can have the family plan for online, so that sort of splits the cost of that. But you still both need to have the game, so you're going to pay you know, 60 bucks each for the games. And mm-hmm. then you're going to, in, in theory, buy the expansions. And then on top of that, I would assume you both need to get Pokemon home. I don't know if this is like a family plan option, but I would think it's per person. So now you're looking at, you know, $32 for for a family of two or two people to do it. So it just kind of keeps compounding. It, it keeps growing. And I do think that's a problem for people. I think this cost by itself, not bad, but when you add it to the cost of playing Pokemon, it adds up. And also, too, something that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier that I want to make sure we mention again is on the link that we were looking at in the article, they had a graphic and it basically breaks down to the fact that it's only really valuable if you play Pokemon Sword or Pokemon Shield because you can only upload Pokemon from Pokemon Bank, Pokemon Let's Go Eevee, Pokemon uh, Let's Go Pikachu, and um, eventually Pokemon Go. You can't download Pokemon into those games. You can only upload them. For Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield, you can both upload and download Pokemon. So that's really the only way it would be valuable is if you play those games or if you're like a crazy collector who for some reason decides they want to have everything in Pokemon Home. Um, yeah, unless yeah. we're understanding that this this little pie chart thing that they they added on here, unless we're misunderstanding this chart, but it definitely seems like you can upload from Pokemon Eevee, Pokemon Pikachu, Pokemon Go, Pokemon Bank, and then upload and download with Pokemon Shield. That's that's the impression I'm getting as well. So I yeah. don't uh, I I I would thought originally when we first heard about this, it was a matter of uploading and downloading. You could do it all Universal, from there. yeah. Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't seem like that's the case. And and to me, that kind of 
I, for me, that's fine because I don't care. But if you're somebody that really does care about this stuff, I think that would that would kind of bother you. One thing I am excited about with this is the the the, the trading aspect that you had mentioned. I mm, think the mm-hmm. wonder box with the sort of like picking up your phone, trading with your phone, being able to you know almost select and schedule Pokemon that you want to trade, and it kind of looks for matches on its own. I like yeah. that a lot. I think that's mm-hmm. really really cool. So that I'm excited about. I'm excited to kind of look and trade Pokemon, even if I don't have my Switch around. That would be very cool. Um, so yeah, I'm. I'm in for basic. I won't be doing premium, but I would love to hear. We I know we've got a couple listeners that uh, are big Pokemon players, so you know, feel free to shoot us a message on Discord or or shoot us a tweet or something. And let us know what you think of this because for us, premium or basic is is fine, and premium seems a, a little expensive for for what you're getting. And I'd like to hear what other people that actually use maybe they're coming from Pokemon Bank. I'd like to hear what they what they have to think about it or what they think about it. Yeah, because I don't, I won't really probably use it all that much either because I don't, probably only for the trading because I haven't played any other games. So I don't have any other Pokemon to get from the other games. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. Yeah. So someone who actually will use it a lot would be interesting to get feedback from them on it or their thoughts. But yeah. yeah. So now something we have official news, which for me, I always thought it was officially was happening anyway but i guess officially I'm wrong. official yeah it's officially <laughs> official now yes but according to the u.s today the nintendo theme park is in fact coming to universal orlando it is going to happen and it is scheduled to open in 2023 i think this is very very cool this is a massive expansion to what is currently there it's actually going to double universal orlando size which if you've been to universal orlando you know that it's it's pretty good size as it is and so this is crazy uh the 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 park is going to be a little bit, a couple miles away from what is currently the Universal theme park. And it's going to employ an additional 14,000 workers. This is on top of the 25,000 employees that Universal already has. Now, there isn't any concrete evidence, but people are saying to expect a very similar experience to what Osaka theme park is going to have, which is opening in the spring. Uh, it hasn't been confirmed, but it's, it's believed, you know, you can expect that you're going to see something very similar, which would be, you know, the mushroom kingdom, peaches castle, Mario Kart rides, Bowser's castles, things like that. That's what you're probably going to see in, in the universal park. And one thing they do have at the Osaka theme park that I hope comes to the universal theme park is power-up bands. Uh, these power-up bands actually work with an app that you can download and you basically go around the park and collect digital coins, you know, very much like Mario would do. And those are used to play games against other people that are at the park with you. And I think that's really, really cool. I, I like that. That's sort of a Pokemon Go, get out there, AR experience. I like the idea of using this at a theme park. And if you maybe go on rides, you get a level up. Or if you, you know, you're doing different things that you maybe check in at a certain store and you can do something, you get some sort of power up for your character. I think that's really fun. And I'm amazed parks haven't been doing that already or at least that i know of so i'm excited to see that i hope they bring that to this universal park and uh yeah i'm excited for this i think it's going to be a really fun time i think if anybody was to do something like that nintendo is is the place to do it just because you know the whole game aspect behind it it's it's perfect yeah Yeah. it makes it makes total sense and i think it's a i think that's a a really fun thing to introduce into the park 
extra immersive. <laughs> I'd also really like to see um, maybe, I don't know, a little Zelda in the Orlando one. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, yeah. that's, that's another thing when I keep seeing the information about the Osaka theme park, it's Nintendo, but it's not, it's like Mario. It's, it's Mario. Themed. Yeah. And I would like to see more Nintendo themed. I'd like to see other IPs work in there. So hopefully we Definitely. get that with, with the, uh, the universal one. I guess we will find out. Yeah. <laughs> so moving on, uh, on top of last week's sort of legal section, we have one article that is legal focused this week. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know if anybody's heard of this. Uh, in Tokyo, Japan, there's this little like side service where you can dress up as Mario characters and basically you do like a Mario Kart ride around the streets of Tokyo. <laughs> uh, I have a friend who recently she was there for her honeymoon and she actually did this and I saw pictures. So when I saw this article come out, I was like, that's very interesting. Uh, so apparently in 2018, Nintendo sued them for copyright infringement, which, you know, they should because at the time... <laughs> The company used the name Mari Car, and the people were still allowed to dress up in Mario costumes and rent them, and you know, as silly as you can possibly get for for something Nintendo-y. Um, but of course, yeah, Nintendo didn't like that. They're like, "You're stealing our our Mario stuff. You can't do that." So mm-hmm. they sued them, um, and then Nintendo was awarded ten million yen, which was ninety two thousand dollars. Mari Car ignored them and kept doing what they were doing. <laughs> Well, now, at least very, they, they didn't pay. I don't know if they, they ignored it yeah. or just couldn't or what, said, but they didn't said pay. said they ignored it in the article. They didn't really say if they paid or not, but uh, very recently, uh, Mario or Nintendo is like, uh, you need to not do this anymore. And they were ordered to pay an increased sum of 50 million yen, which is $458,000. Wow. So stop what you're doing, pay them, and find something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, And when Nintendo was asked about the case, of course, they said similar to what they said about the Wii remote thing that we talked about last week, um, it says that they will continue to take necessary legal measures to protect its products and its property as they should. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I I think what ended up happening with this, though, is they they got fined that 10 million yen and then they either didn't or ignored it or they couldn't pay it. And it wasn't so much that they continued to just blatantly rip off Nintendo because they did say that they changed their name. That was very recent, though. But I think it was after the fact. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. think I don't think the additional fine is because they just kept doing it. I think the additional fine is because they just didn't pay when they were supposed to pay that initial 10 million yen. They just didn't. Gotcha. And the, the fee went up. I don't think it's because they kept doing the same thing and never stopped. That was my impression of of the article, and I I think they had changed what they were doing, and they you know they got away from the Mario stuff a little bit, but they just never paid their fine. And so if you don't, yeah. fines go up. That's what happens. Mm-hmm. So now Nintendo will be getting you know fifty million yen as opposed to the the ten they were supposed to get. So I mean, just they could have just paid it and it been over with. But I think. Who knows how much they make, right? I don't. Who knows? If they just might not even have had that much money. So I mean, we've seen it on TV shows, I guess. Like James May did that, yeah. like um, touring Tokyo thing, and I guess he did it on there. So they definitely get tourist attraction. 
<laughs> yeah, they do. And but, yeah. and I can't and I can't blame Nintendo for not wanting this associated with them because right, yeah. this is on open streets in Tokyo. You know, if you hit somebody or if you hit a car or if you had anything and you have Nintendo plastered all over the car and you're dressed like Mario, people are going to assume, oh, this is Nintendo affiliated. I'm going yeah, after Nintendo. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case. So I, I don't blame them for for wanting to kind of get rid of that and mm-hmm. uh, get, you know, separate themselves. So. Another thing Nintendo is separating itself from is the Wii in Japan. As of (laughs) March uh, 31st, they have said they are no longer going to be repairing the Wii console. And uh, they said basically it's because parts are just getting scarce. We're just... We don't make this stuff anymore, and we we just can't keep fixing the wees in the world that are that are eventually and slowly dying off. It's just we we just can't, people. It's we just can't. Yeah, we can't do it. It's two <laughs> generations ago, and uh, sorry, but we just can't keep fixing it. Now, um, it, it Nintendo U.S. and European branches. They neither none of them responded, so it's not sure whether or not they are going to be doing this as well. But as far as we know, Japan is the only one, and it's it's the end of an era. It, it's time to move on. Time to get a switch. I have some news from the latest Nintendo financial briefing. Uh, apparently, Shantaro Fukawa said that the Switch online service has now more than 15 million subscribers. He also mentioned that there's positives but also negatives to the service. He mentioned that there are a lot of new members coming to join, but not everyone is renewing their membership, which is probably the biggest part. You've got to keep people coming back. Mm-hmm. According to Nickel Partner Senior Analyst Daniel Ahmed on Twitter, he said that this is 8 million more subscribers than this time last year, and about 29% of Switch owners subscribe to Switch Online. So there's definitely room for growth, people. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep making the service better and better. You'll get more people to stick around. Um, Furukawa said that we will continue to enhance the appeal of the service to bring more features and more fun to Nintendo Switch. So let's hope that they actually do that. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. I mean, yeah. we we get it regardless, and that's fine, but mm-hmm. I, would, I wouldn't hate seeing more features brought to it and see it fleshed out even more and more. So this is great. And if, if they're getting subscribers and people are falling off and leaving, I think that's going to be obviously a very large clue to them that they need to do more. You know, clearly the, the older retro games that are accessible is nice, but it's not for everybody. It's not for me. It's, I don't know about how many times you've played them, but I, I'm, I want to play new stuff. I don't really care about the old games it's there. It's fine. I get it as part of the thing. And I know it's, I know it's very important to a lot of people, but I think there could be a lot more with the online service. I think, you know, playing with friends could be improved. I think some sort of achievements could be, you know, improved or at least added. Um, I, I just think there's a lot more that we can do to make that service better and more fleshed out and feel like it's on some level competing with the other consoles and their online experience. So it'd be nice to see. And hopefully, you know, these numbers kind of make that happen for them. I can't think of a time that I've actually, I think, I guess I only tried to play a game once, but it's funny because I did see someone while I was playing a game the other day. I think if it's one of our listeners that I'm, I'm friends with, I saw him playing um, or her, I'm not sure, <laughs> but uh, I saw them playing some mario game and the said like it was the retro games whatever so people are playing them i guess just not yeah, me people play them it's just yeah it's not for everybody and mm-hmm. you know i think it's a nice thing to have but it's not i don't think it's a thing that sells it for people necessarily yeah. you need you need a little bit more 
Um, now, something that is selling like crazy is Nintendo's mobile games, and specifically Fire Emblem Heroes. A Sensor Tower recently put out a report And based on their report, Nintendo's six mobile games have generated more than $1 billion worldwide together, and that's across iOS and Android. Fire Emblem brings in the majority with 61%. That's $656 million on one mobile game all by itself. (laughs) And in relation to the others, it has a small basically a, a small fan base almost all of them have a larger fan base more downloads fire emblem heroes has 18 million downloads which i say is small but it's only in comparison to all their others and yeah. they are doing about 41 dollars a download for this free game that's that's so crazy to me uh animal crossing pocket camp comes in second they're doing 131 million they have 12 percent 11 percent is dragalia lost doing 123 million followed by mario kart tour super mario run which has the most installs that has 244 million installs which is just <laughs> far and away the, ma- the majority that's but they only did seven percent yeah, compared to 18 million at 61%, like that's, I, I, it just stuns me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, pretty crazy. It's crazy. I mean, obviously, the, their, their pricing models are very different. It's Nintendo right. likes to put every one of their games has like a different pricing model, but the, they the, dabble. The, they do dabble. The lowest, lowest of the one is a very sick Dr. Mario, and they had only been able to do 1% of the overall sales at 4.8 million. So that is, in comparison, a, a, a huge failure, I guess, compared yeah. to the rest of these. But um, yeah, over one billion dollars. It's it's pretty pretty crazy. Now, if you're curious, Japan is leading the way. They have fifty four percent of it, of the money, and they've spent five hundred eighty one million. And U.S. is in a in a in a not so close second at twenty nine percent with three hundred sixteen million. Wow, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Just can't believe that Fire Emblem just has that big of a of a piece of the pie. Yeah, I, it makes me wonder what their next game is going to be and if it's going to be as bad as because the most two most recent games, one percent and eight yeah. percent. So they're trying to do a Fire Emblem Heroes did, but they're just not getting it. So I guess we'll have to see yeah. what happens next. Yeah, I mean it would be nice. I I personally. I've played every single one of these, and I play them for you know a month or two, and then and then mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty pretty sick of them. So I I personally like to see Nintendo do something a little crazier, do something a little different, um, yeah. and kind of get away from the mobile game uh, tropes that you see all, all all the time. You know, they're always the same kind of gotcha game. They're always the same type of game. Very shallow gameplay. Nothing really that interesting. I want to see them do something a little different. Give me give me a really in depth mobile game. What does that look like? If anybody can do it, Nintendo is should be the one that can do it. But what does it look like? I, right now, they're still copying other people, and that doesn't seem very Nintendo to me. Another observation is the three worst games are all Mario IPs. Yeah. They need to, like, Dragalia Lost, Animal Crossing, especially Fire Emblem. I mean, they're just different IPs. Maybe they just need to mix up, like, stop leaning so much on on Mario. Yeah, maybe. I yeah. don't I don't know what their deal is, but it would be nice to just see something, I don't know, something, something different. Something different, yeah. Well, jumping from Mario back to Pokemon, apparently there's a new mythical Pokemon coming to Sword and Shield. Mm. Uh, it is, the details are going to be released on February 27th, which is apparently Pokemon Day. Uh, the new Pokemon 
is also expected to star in the upcoming Pokemon animated film called Coco. I haven't heard of it until now, so I'm curious if anybody else has heard of it. (laughs) Um, Alongside the reveal, Sword and Shield will also get a special max raid battle and a new event in Pokemon Go. So it's pretty cool that they're doing kind of a crossover between Sword and Shield and Pokemon Go. Uh, There's no other information right now. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what it's going to do. We don't know anything about it except that there is a mythical coming. And stay tuned for February 27th. Yeah. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to catch Let's another one. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this. So, yeah, I guess we'll just uh, we'll stay tuned and see what comes out. Mm-hmm. Now, for the third week in a row, I get to talk about another Animal Crossing New Horizons product. And uh, this is the big one. This is the, this is the one I think everybody's waiting for. And that is a... Animal Crossing themed console. So we now get basically Nintendo of America tweeted this out. They showed some pictures and it looks really, really nice. It's one of the Mm -hmm. nicest uh, Switch themes I've seen for any of their games. It comes out with two new Joy-Cons. So you get a pastel blue and a pastel green. They have a white back on them, which I think looks really, really nice. And better yet, these are going to be sold separate so we can pick these up. I don't think there's any other Animal Crossing um like decals or anything on them it's just color so they'll they'll stand alone if you're not an animal crossing fan they're just some nice pastel colors and they actually are really really nicely done i like the white and the blue and the the green all together then you get a custom switch it's got the, the the actual screen part has a more of a shiny uh, finish on it with the different decals like water pattern and the little animal icons that we've been seeing on a couple of these other accessories that's on the back of the screen part. And then the dock itself is all white, except it has illustrations of the animals um, from the island on it. So you, you have an all white dock and then there's like water with the island and the little animals on the very front and the bottom right corner. Really, really well done. It makes me want just an all white dock. I think the dock looks really, really nice. Yeah. But but overall, <laughs> the, the entire collection is it looks really, really good. Now, if you are interested, this is available March 13th for $300. And like I said, the, the Joy-Cons will be separate um, or at least sold separately as well. So most likely those are going to be the same price as any other Joy-Con, which I think is around $70. So you can pick that up or you can get this entire Switch. Uh, it really, really nicely done. They also announced that there's going to be uh, an Aloha Edition carrying case and screen protector. This is available on the 13th as well. No price yet, but the carrying case is all white and it has bluish green, same sort of pastel color leaf pattern on it. And the leaf pattern is really, really nicely done. Animal Crossing leaf. I'm sure you've seen it on a bunch of the other things we've talked about. Looks really, really good. If you're familiar with any of the Nintendo um, licensed uh, switch protectors switch cases it's the same thing it's like a it's like a zip up like the basic yeah Yeah, it's like a zip up sleeve that goes on around it fits it really well and it's fine it's a nice size nice color they all go together really really well and uh, i'm excited for this me too i love those joy cons yeah i've been saying i wanted like pastel joy cons for a while pastel or or gold like Mm -hmm. metallic gold would be nice um and then it made me think that i really hope they do when the next Zelda game comes out, I really hope they do a Zelda themed console. Yeah, but, that'd be cool. but the Joy Cons are like gold and they have a little Triforce button on the home button. That would be that would be awesome. <laughs> I would love that. 
I, that would be amazing. It would be really, really cool if we got something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and if we do, you know, it's it's great that they're doing these these console editions, but I think selling the Joy-Cons as a separate, separate. option yeah. is key because not every nobody's going to, you know, I'm not, there's no way I'd buy another Switch just because it's themed. You don't need themed. another one. Yeah. yeah not yeah. because it's themed around something. Most of the time, you just want the Joy-Cons. And so this is a great thing. You're probably going to sell more Joy-Cons this way because you're actually making mm-hmm. them offered. You're, 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 you know, you're not just bundling them and not letting anybody else get them. Yeah, this, I would say too, this is definitely one of the more tasteful themed things that they've done. Yeah. That I've seen. Um, now, say for example, too, that you have a kiddo who loves Animal Crossing, or you do too, and you just don't want to pay $300 to have an Animal Crossing picture of an animal on your Switch dock. There are stickers available. <laughs> they're officially licensed Animal Crossing sticker packs. Um, they're like nice vinyl, so they're waterproof and stuff like that. Um, but there's seven dollars for about a pack of twelve stickers, so that's an option. <laughs> yeah, but definitely, those uh, that's, a, that's a that's a better uh, an option that's better for the wallet, I guess. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty much it for the big news this week. But I have another little like side news thing I wanted to tuck in here. Thought it was pretty interesting. Now, apparently. Atari, you know, they're not doing too hot in the the game space at the moment. So they decided, you know what, let's open some hotels. There you go. (laughs) So they're opening the first one in Phoenix, Arizona. It's going to start construction in the fall and should be finished in about two years. Uh, Now, let me give you some details about these hotels because I'm really excited for them. (laughs) They're going to feature spaces for VR, uh, AR, and then studios for streaming games and venues for throwing esports events which I think is brilliant, especially I don't feel like the U.S. has anything like that right now, specifically for esports. Um, now, some of the rooms are going to have a retro style, while others are going to be inspired by Ready Player One, which that is what I am the most excited about. I think that I just can just visualize it and be I get excited. <laughs> yeah, that's very cool. Other cities that they're planned to bring the hotel to are Las Vegas, Denver, Chicago, Austin, Seattle, San Francisco, and San Jose. So, uh, Mats gonna visit one <laughs> yeah hopefully yeah. he does hopefully, hopefully yeah. he can report back i'm sure i'm sure he would go to something like this definitely if yeah. uh if it does come near him so uh i i'm excited for this i think this is very cool i'd love to see a nintendo based one yeah. and, and maybe maybe we will in with the universal park opening up maybe we will actually see that happen but it, this is great this is it's so crazy to me to think that there's even you know, Nintendo stores, let alone a Nintendo theme park and an Atari hotel happening. I just never thought I would see something like that. So pretty exciting and pretty, pretty cool. I I hope that Nintendo falls along and then they do like a theme sort of like, you know how Disney has their like themed resorts or whatever. It'd be Mm -hmm. cool if um, Nintendo had their own themed resort for Universal, but they do it like Yoshi's Island or it's like the island in Zelda or uh, Breath of the Wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be really cool. <laughs> yeah, that'd be very cool. So that's it for news this week. Now let's move on to the top 10 bestsellers of the week. Uh, first is Cuphead. Second, The Mystery of Woolly Mountain. Third is Celeste. Fourth, Stardew Valley. Fifth, Minecraft. Sixth, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. Seventh, Death Squared. Eighth, Pokemon Sword. Ninth, Overcooked 2. And 10th, Mario Kart Deluxe 8. Um, I'm pretty sure that there was a sale on 
like I don't know if it was just co-op games because Overcooked 2 hasn't been in here for a while and I definitely saw that Overcooked 1 and Overcooked 2 were on sale this last week and also Dead Squared in the top 10 I don't think on it's that's ever happened while I've been on the podcast which is pretty crazy that it's kind of made a comeback so yeah not that I cool. can, it's a great game so I'm happy to yeah. see it there I'm happy more people are playing it I cannot mm-hmm. I cannot remember if I've seen it in the top 10 I definitely can't remember any time recently. Mm. So Death Square, that's a big one. Uh, great list. A lot of good games on it. Yeah. Um, now, there was one new game in the top 30. Um, on the 26th, a game called Thronebreaker, The Witcher Tales. Now, this totally was off our radar last week. It wasn't even in the the new releases coming out. This completely surprised us. Um, and I saw a video of it, and I sent it to Michael and you. <laughs> And I don't think I've ever gotten a more excited response through text from anyone ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a this is a pretty good one. So I think this what did we say? This came out January twenty eighth. Thronebreaker, Thronebreaker, The Witcher Tales for twenty dollars. And this is something. I mean, I've talked about it the last I mean the last couple of weeks. So I watched The Witcher on Netflix. Really, really, really enjoyed it. I came very into it good. not not very familiar with The Witcher at all. I didn't know it was based on books. I had only heard of the games and the games looked fine. You know, I've always heard great things about them, but I was just like, I know it's a, it's a big game and I just can't commit to that much time. Mm-hmm. But when I saw that it was a show, I, I was like, well, I got to check this out. And I really, really enjoyed it. It got me into the books. I've read almost all of the books now. I'm on the very last one. And then I'm going to go to the Witcher video games. I'm most likely just going to watch like playthroughs of one and two to get the gist and then actually play Witcher three. And what I've discussed is I can't decide if I'm going to go with the Xbox version of it or the Switch version of it. And I'm still on the fence about that. I, I still can't decide because I do want to play the best version of it. But the idea of being able to play it on the go for me and my lifestyle and with work and just everything that's going on, being able to have access to it anywhere I am may be just a better experience. I'm not hundred percent sure I can't decide, but anyway, throne throne breaker takes place between the books and the first video game. And this is a single player role-playing game set in that the Witcher world. And it combines narrative driven exploration so it's kind of like the isometric, uh, very, very similar to the the battle chasers that I'm playing right now. It's kind of like has this animated comic book look to it, isometric look to it. And it also combines Gwent, which is uh, a card game, if you're not familiar. If anybody's played Witcher 3, you're probably very familiar with Gwent. I've actually just started playing it about a month ago on my phone. And that's sort of the battle system built into this RPG. So it's a it's a deck building battle mechanic mixed with rpg elements all set in the witcher world it has very positive reviews on steam and for the 20 dollars, the only thing stopping me from getting it was that it takes place after the books so i will be buying this for sure i will be playing this for sure i'm just once i'm done with the books that's when i'm going to jump into the video game aspect of things but i'm super excited to this and like i said this just snuck up i didn't i didn't know this even existed it is still it this this game is still produced by cd project red so it's right same creators of the witcher games um and from what i've read it's it's got it's a great story it's a really really well done game so i'm super super excited for it 
Definitely a little sneak attack. <laughs> yeah, they, they snuck that in there on us. Yeah, but, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy you found it. And I'm happy we know it exists now because mm-hmm. that's that's a must get for me. Now. <laughs> That gets us to the actual new releases for this week, and we've got a whole bunch of good ones that we checked. Yeah. Uh, starting starting February third, we have Please the Gods, and this is an old school fantasy turn based indie RPG inspired by Finnish mythology and tabletop classics like Heroes Quest or Hero Quest, and. I'm I'm a little mixed. I gave this a one check because I do think it's interesting and I do want to keep an eye on it. I'm, I'll add it to my wish list. $10 is a little more than I would want to play, especially with uh, Thronebreaker. Um, that's going to be my focus and that's going to scratch the RPG itch that I've got right now. But this one is kind of interesting. It does have sort of a 16-bit sort of pixelated look to it mixed with kind of flash. It doesn't look great. It definitely has a a, a style that's not for me. But I like the combination of the old school dice combat system. And there is some skill trees where you're trying to build out the best characters. And, you, you know, you're still getting those, those RPG elements that you are familiar with. So I'm, I'm going to keep it on the wish list. I'm going to keep an eye on it because I do think it could be something uh, worth playing. And if you are a fan of this kind of stuff, you may want to check it out as well. I thought it sounded cool, but yeah, the art style definitely deterred me from it a little bit. Yeah, um, it's a little bit yeah. of a turnoff. If, yeah. if it looked a little bit better, I would say, yeah, this was this would definitely be a solid, you know, a solid investment. But I, it's, it's a little bit of a turnoff for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll talk about the next game because we both had it checked. On February 4th, there's a game coming out called Wide Open Big Jacket for $8. Uh, it's a short story game. It has about 20 chapters, four playable characters, and 10,000 words of dialogue (laughs) and eight explorable areas. And it's all in this very um, kind of minimal cut paper sort of style, like just simple shapes. Mm -hmm. Um, The trailer for it was very quirky. It kind of reminded me of the type of writing that you'll see in like a Wes Anderson-y sort of movie. Um, Mm. You also compared it to Little Miss Sunshine. So very like independent film sort of quirkiness. Um, the playtime is 60 minutes, so about an hour to an hour and a half. Um, but I thought this looked great. It's it's a finalist in the Independent Games Festival 2020 for Excellence in Narrative. So, you know, something to keep an eye on. For $8, it seems pretty pretty decent. So uh, yeah. I'll definitely put that on my wish list. Yeah, yeah. I think it looked really interesting. The art mm-hmm. style, kind of like that first one we mentioned, was a little bit of a turnoff for me because I, I couldn't decide if it was just a very stylized game or if it just kind of didn't look great. But it's I, it, the story and the, and the actual narrative is what I think matters with this one. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think it's it's very, very interesting. Now, why don't you take the next one as well? I would love to take on the next one. So Seventh Sector is coming out on February 5th. We also both had this one checked. Um, now, full transparency, we got a code to this game. I've been playing it in the background, so I can't get too in-depth about it because it hasn't come out yet. Um, but it's a mysterious cyberpunk puzzle game. Very atmospheric. You can kind of take control over things like different objects in the game. And got, you basically get through puzzles in this cyberpunk sort of atmosphere. Um as these different things that you take over it has a branching system with four different endings so i love when games have things like that because it's like you know what's gonna happen what ending am i gonna get um so i'm just excited to give my review next week so stay tuned for that 
Great. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I saw, you know, I'm, I'm a big sucker for the atmospheric games and things mm-hmm. like that. So when I saw the trailer for this, I was really into it and I'm glad we got a code. So I'm excited to hear some more on that. Well, yeah, as soon no. as we saw it, you were you were like, you, you're going to love this. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so you're the one who showed it to me, otherwise I wouldn't have even seen it. Uh, on February 6th, we checked Knights and Bikes. This is a $20 game that's on sale for 18 You play as Nessa and Demelza as they explore an ancient island with their pet goose, Captain Honkers. You're riding and upgrading their bikes on a quest for answers. Now, one thing that when I looked into this game a little bit, I was really excited about was that it's developed by Foam Sword Games. And when I looked into Foam Sword Games, I realized that the, I believe it's a two-person team, or at least that's what was on their site. The people that were on the site actually were involved with Little Big Planet and Ratchet and Clank. So they actually did some of the artwork and the development for those games and that they weren't just small roles that they had in them. They actually had pretty substantial parts in creating those games. And those games were very, very good. They're, they're great games. So when I saw that, I was like, oh, well, this I want to I want to look into this a little bit further. And when I'm glad I did, because it has a very, very uh, stylized sort of almost like a cartoon mixed with I don't even know. It's really, really well done. It's sort of like an illustrated children's book, but it it has these sharp angles, very, very stylized, very, very fun, very, very bright. You and I both discussed that if if this feels like Sunset Overdrive mixed with Don't Starve. If you think about Don't Starve, that has a very specific look. Mm -hmm. And while this is much brighter and, and just has a lot more energy to it, it kind of has that same essence right it still has a very stylized feel and it's a very it's its own character for sure and that i like a lot about it you can play this game single player with an ai companion because you always have the two characters going at the same time so you either have to have an ai companion you can do couch co-op or you can do online co-op and the reason you have both like companions always there is that they both have a different skill set and there's going to be certain parts in the game where you may have to switch to the other because their skill set is better suited for it. So it kind of reminds me of mm. maybe the, the new Luigi's Mansion with I Luigi. was just thinking that, yeah. Yeah, so you're, yeah. You know, you're switching back and forth because one can do something the other can't. And so I think this is a really, really great game. When I was reading a lot of the reviews, it's on Steam, it's on things like that. It's got really, really positive reviews. A lot of the people were saying that they were playing it with children, so like an adult and a child and something like that, because it's just such a unique uh, experience. It does say you're going to laugh, and some of the reviews said they definitely cried. So I think it's a great, emotional, well-done, quality game that needs to be checked out, and I gave this a check for sure, and uh, $18 at the moment. I can always go for a good cry. This would be a good one for us to, to, to play together. You should put this one on the, on the online co-op list. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's it's absolutely one to keep keep an eye on because mm-hmm. we're always looking for good co-op games. Yeah. So the next game coming out on February 7th that we're both into is The Turing Test. The Turing Test is a challenging... Oh, it's also $20. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a challenging first-person puzzle game set on Jupiter's moon Europa. You are Ava Turing, an engineer for the International Space Agency, sent to figure out what happened because apparently an, another ISA crew that was stationed on the moon disappeared. Um, so as Ava, you're guided through the station through the AI, which is named Tom to find your way through the facility and figure out what it actually means to be human. Mm. Um, 
discover a story with multiple layers of depth and conspiracy, challenging concepts of human morality. And now this, what they say next kind of made both me and Michael nervous. I'll explain in a second. But um, it also gives freedom to the players to form theories about the fate of ISA's crew members. So on one hand, that sounds great. It means, you know, like we can kind of have our own conspiracies and talk about what we think happened or or, you know, just have different takeaways from the story we played. Or it means that they just didn't actually finish writing it and left it very open ended. So it's one of the two. <laughs> I really hope that's not the case. I really hope it yeah. is more like, you know, the decisions you make in the game or sort of mm-hmm. the story plot just makes you like you want to just discuss it. I hope it's not something that is just badly told and they're just kind of like, oh, well, this is up for your interpretation. And and we didn't want to give you too much because we wanted you to fill in the 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 empty spaces. And I don't like when games do that. I just feel like it's a bit of a cop out, even if it was intentional. Yeah. I just think it's like, no, this, you're telling the story that uh-huh. it's not a choose your own adventure. It's not your, if you're an author, you're writing a book, you don't just leave parts out because Give me an oh, ending. <laughs> you're going to, you're going to fill it in. I, you can, you can have things that are for your interpretation. Like inception is a perfect example, but yeah. that's a completed story. But we all debated, you know, the ending Did of he that. get out? Yeah. So I think if it's something like that, then that's fine. That's in a, that's in a very intentional th- way to end something. If it's just mm-hmm. you just don't know, you they they didn't tell you, then that's that's not as good. Yeah, but I, agree. I think it looks great, and I'm yeah. super excited because it, it it just feels like Portal Three to me. It does look a lot like Portal, like the puzzles in the trailer, very similar. <laughs> yeah. Um, but See we how also we're got... never getting another portal. This is it. <laughs> this is it, guys. Uh, it, we also said it kind of... We've talked about this game Soma quite a bit because it just really left an impression on us, but it also does have that vibe too. Like mm-hmm. a little bit of a Soma meets portal sort of mix up there. Absolutely. Um, so next is a game... I, I almost didn't put a check next to it because it's a little confusing, um, but it looks really interesting. It's called EQQO. Also comes out in 7th for $6. It's a puzzle adventure game inspired by nature and mythology. It has about four to five hours of exploration and puzzle solving inspired by Ethiopian mythology and traditions. Um, What I found the most interesting about this game is apparently there's this DLC. It wasn't clear to me if it was included in the Switch game or not. I tried to look it up, but there's not a ton of information about it. But apparently if you get this DLC, you have the option to plant a tree in the game. And if you do that, they will plant a tree in real life. So kind of like, like best of both worlds. Yeah. Uh, now, it also seems like it was originally developed for VR or the Oculus Go. Again, I saw it like very briefly somewhere. And just based on the look of the game, it looks like that's what it was originally intended for. So I'm not quite sure about gameplay here, but uh, it looks interesting. I like the concept of the tree thing. I think that's very interesting. So um, it's it's on my radar. We'll see what happens, though. Cool. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I think it definitely looked interesting. But mm-hmm. the last one we have is February 8th. Ilya Paradigm Shift comes out. It's $8. Now, this is an interactive adventure where the main focus is humanity's place in the universe, the nature of intelligence, and the meaning of faith. Now, for me, when it starts to get into topics like that, I get a little questionable because it's kind of <laughs> just seems... It seems like a bit of a reach. Yeah, it just seems like a reach for a video game. This is basically a sci-fi game where you go exploring a ship 
13 years later because your husband disappeared and the rest of the crew. That's the gist of it. So whatever happens in there, maybe it does make you question the nature of intelligence and the meaning of faith, but it's a sci-fi game that you're looking for somebody that's gone. I, that's what got me. That's what is interesting to me. Again, mm-hmm. it has that Soma vibe, the kind of like sci-fi vibe, very atmospheric. And that's kind of where I hope it is. I hope it isn't sort of this existential you know, journey that I have to go on and question humanity. And I just want a good game that I can play and enjoy. So it yeah. looks like it's a good sci-fi game. It looks very cool. And there's only one way to find out, you know, you gotta, you gotta check it out and it's $8 right now. I got to check on it because I'm going to, I want to watch, I want to see if it goes down a little bit, I'm definitely going to pick it up because it has uh, mixed reviews on steam. So that makes me a little nervous, but mm. I like the idea of it. It's, it's worth, it's worth looking into. That gets us to everybody's favorite segment in the show, What You Playing. And I'm going to let you give us a little, uh, you, you mentioned something last week, and I think you have an update on it. I do. So besides Seventh Sector, which I mentioned, there's a review coming soon. Um, I talked about City Skylines. Tantalus reached back out to me saying, yeah, send us some information. We'll see if we can help you. So I opened up my Switch yesterday. And usually what would happen is if I would open up the game, about like, you know, two minutes into playing the game, it would all the power would shut down, nothing would work, and then my whole city would basically die. So I got some screen grabs of before, and then I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and it wasn't breaking. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the game was like, oh, you're gonna tell on me. Well, watch, I'm gonna work now. Uh, but <laughs> so I think the bug fix is you just close the game, get really mad at it, threaten it, and then just don't play it for a long time. <laughs> yeah, problem uh, solved. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm still going to um, email Tantalus back, give them a couple screen grabs of what the city like layout is and um, what the, the city info is and stuff like that and see if that'll help. I'll explain to them that when I opened it back up after a long time, it worked. Maybe that'll help them figure it out. But I figure any information is better than no information for them. So um, yeah, hopefully that helps. <laughs> What about you? (laughs) It's crazy that it all of a sudden just started working. I know. Yeah. That's like, that's just my luck though. I feel like that's with everything. It's like once I need it to do something specific, it doesn't. So, oh, well, Well, at least it's working now. So hopefully you can play it again and not have to worry. Well, I played it for Uh, about 10 minutes and it was nice. It was like, oh, I get to play this game again, but I'm still worried because it could break it on even. Well, it could, but I guess that could be a good a good test as well because maybe maybe the i don't know maybe it's a time-based problem and then you get through yeah, something and then it just stops stops having an issue i'm not sure mm. it's kind of crazy yeah uh, so for me i've been playing battle chasers again i'm still working my way through that but i had mentioned a game called music racer last week when we were going through the the new releases and i said that i was interested in it well lucky for us we did get a code so i got to play it Music Racer is a racing rhythm game with a very 80s slash Tron vibe. And I love that about it. I think that is so cool. I love the look of it. I like the feel of it. It just looks cool. It has 20 different songs. Each, All of them are basically EDM songs. They're all got the same sort of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're good. They're really enjoyable. There wasn't any that I'm like, oh, I hate this. I like some more than others, but they all have a really good beat for racing a car to. The song plays 
while you are on a track driving your car, the car lane, there's three car lanes. So as the song's playing, there's you're in a car and there's like these notes that are kind of you don't go forward. You don't go back. You're like, you're not controlling the speed or anything like that. You basically just control which lane your car is in and you're trying to collect these notes while avoiding pillars. And that's, that's basically the gist of it at the end of the, at the end of the, the, the race, I want to say, but at the end of the track, you're judged on how many notes you were able to collect. What was your highest combo? So how many notes did you get before you hit a pillar? Um, and then, your overall score, they'll give you a star rating based on those things, which, hmm. okay, fine. The more notes you collect, the notes are sort of the currency in the game. So the more you're able to collect, you'll be able to buy slash unlock cars. You'll be able to buy slash unlock other tracks. There's 25 cars total, but you have four in the beginning that are already unlocked for you. There's 14 tracks stages they're not like racetracks because you're again you're not racing but there's 14 stages two of them are unlocked for you at the very beginning and then you can buy more as you go um and so basically the gist is you jump in the game you pick your car you pick a song there's you know whatever one of the 23 those are all unlocked and then you pick your track and then you just go and it doesn't seem like the song really correlates very much to the track or the gameplay i've noticed that maybe you know if the song is fast then you're probably moving fast if the song is slow you're probably the track is sort of moving slower with it but it's not you're not collecting beats or or notes on the beat of the song at least it doesn't seem to me because it just arbitrarily seems to switch lanes there's no real reason to be in the one lane versus the other it's not like you know there it just doesn't seem to matter it's not like one is a higher note versus a lower note um and if the notes are spaced out based on the music it's really hard to really tell it doesn't seem like it really matters at all yeah and i will say the tracks while while stylistically they may be slightly different they don't really mean anything so you may pick one track and then pick another track and it's just because you're visually bored of the one you were playing but it's not adding complexity or taking away complexity they're all kind of very similar it just has a different look and i will say that the design of the tracks themselves kind of hinders the game because if you're collecting notes a lot of these tracks kind of go up hills and then down and then bank and then turn and whatever but if you're going up the hill and then suddenly dropping down if there's a note on the back side of that hill you can't see it so you're missing notes not because you're not fast enough or not good enough but just because you're in the far left lane and you know you're riding over this peak and you get right to the top and there is just not enough time to get to the right side. Like you just didn't mm. see it. You weren't able to prepare. It wasn't like, oh, you you tried to make the adjustment and you just happened to miss it. It's just like, it's suddenly there and you should have known and you just didn't get it. So I, I don't know. It seems like that's a little wonky in my opinion. I will say that I love, love, love the look, the feel, the music of this game a lot, but I just don't think there's enough game there. I You literally can just set your switch down, let the music play and your car just goes in one lane, collects what notes happen to be in that lane. And when you get to the end of the track, you get judged, you get your score and that's it. You may lose points because you're hitting pillars, but if you're just playing at a normal mode, there's no, 
nothing happens. You can play it on hard mode. Hard mode, if you hit a pillar, the the the, the track is over and you have to start from the beginning. But again, it's it doesn't really that's it. And if you are actively quote unquote playing the game, all you literally are doing is hitting left or right on the joystick or the D-pad. And that's that's it. You only need one Joy-Con to do everything in the game. So unless you are a very, very, very big fan of rhythm games, for me, I am not typically. So this game, I gave it a 2.5. Because it's just there's not enough there for me. What is there is is good. It's fine, but it's just not. There's not enough. There's not just enough. not a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy to me that it's a music racer game, but it doesn't actually follow anything from the music. Like I, I know from what I did see of it, it seemed like when like the beat drops or you get to like the the chorus or whatever it is, um, then it speeds up and it like super speeds, but then it dies away and that's basically the only thing that the music dictates right yeah yeah other than that it's like you're not following but it's not like ddr where you're hitting like certain notes or hit or, or collecting certain notes or moving the joystick on a beat or anything like that yeah. which that just seems so weird to me yeah, there, yeah it's a music racer that has no racing it's like half of a music racer yeah exactly. has all the parts of a music racer but it's missing like the key <laughs> the key part <laughs> yeah the, the, key the main <laughs> the main thing about racing isn't there yeah um do, now you said did this get mixed reviews on steam uh yeah no it's got it's got pretty good reviews on steam hmm. i mean people seem to really like it and right. and that's that's cool i mean like i said it's it's fine if that's your thing but it's just yeah. not for me it's uh there's it's just not enough it's it's kind of boring and i don't like that it doesn't really seem like you know the music plays a huge role it sounds good but it doesn't really play a huge role in the actual gameplay hmm. all right well yeah it's a review <laughs> yeah there it is um anything else you want to add before we we call it nope that's it all right well there you have it we managed to do it again fingers crossed everything turns out the way we wanted to now if you want to write us please feel free we always love hearing from people so you can reach us on nintendodispatch.com and from there you can go to our discord you can do all kinds of great stuff. Um, we do have a Twitch channel, so you can link to that on there. And we're always on Twitter, so we're constantly chit-chatting on Twitter. You can feel free to follow us along and reach us on there at, at Dispatch Podcast. And that has been your Nintendo Dispatch. <laughs>